from Revenue Rhino, I'm Brad Hammond, and this is the Lifelong Customer Podcast. We're interviewing successful sales and marketing leaders and discussing ways in which they're building lifelong relationships with their customers. Welcome to the Lifelong Customer Podcast. I'm your host, Brad Hammond, and today I have Peter Quagenti, CMO of Cockroach Labs. Peter, it's really nice to have you on. Thanks, Brad. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it'll be a ton of fun. So, Peter, tell me a bit about yourself and about your company and, and your awesome name, by the way. I want to hear more. <laughs> Thank you. I'll share a little bit about myself first. So I'm a CMO at Cockroach Labs. I've spent the last 10 years in software startups, particularly focused on the infrastructure space, the developer tools and infrastructure space. It's just a passion area of mine. I've worked in both marketing roles and sales roles, as well as actually in product leadership roles. I've had a couple of successful exits already in the last 10 years. And I think I was very bullish to join Cockroach because I think it's actually probably going to be the, the most interesting and most successful business that, uh, that I'll be, have had a chance to be part of. Um, before that, I spent 15 years as a digital agency and consulting leader. Got started as early as 95, building websites and applications and doing digital marketing when we weren't even sure what that meant yet. So it was, uh, it was exciting to come up through that. The company is super interesting. So Cockroach Labs is the creator of CockroachDB. We talk about ourselves as the world's most evolved database. We are focused on the transactional data space. So if you think about every business in the world, every application you ever use, think about your banking application, the most important data that you have is your transactional and operational data. When you log into your, you, know, you pull up the app on your phone and you log into your bank account, you expect that number to be accurate and you expect yeah. it to be pure and you expect it to be you know, correct. And you also expect most of these things to be instantaneous, at least in the way a, a, the average person thinks about it. Maybe not a computer scientist thinks about it. And so that infrastructure is currently dominated by decades old technology. Surprise, actually. Things like IBM and Oracle built 30, 40 years ago still power most of the transactional data in the world, and it's not working anymore. Mm. The systems are not working for the scale we need, the distribution we need, and they don't run in cloud. There's a whole new generation of database technology coming up that we tend to be considered a leader in. And uh, so we're doing really interesting things to try to move data into the modern age. Nice. I love that. And Tell me a bit about the name and how that came about. Yeah, so it's one of those things that you hear, you hear a lot of chatter about the name. As a marketer, what do you care about? You care about disruption and, and differentiation, and you care about memorability, right? Those are the two things. I had a little bit of mixed feelings when I first heard the name. As a kid who grew up in New York City, which is where the company was founded, cockroaches don't have the best reputation. But what are cockroaches known for? Cockroaches are known for thriving everywhere and surviving anything. And, you know, talk about them being unkillable. And there's only one cardinal sin in all of enterprise software, and that is loss of data. And so databases are held to a fundamentally higher standard than any other piece of technology we use. And in our case, we literally did build the cockroach of databases. You cannot kill us. So the fundamental architecture of CockroachDB is super interesting. It's distributed software. 
But normally when you want to scale up a database or, or data systems for yourself, you actually have to add more machines and you have to split the database. And then, so that makes you then do crazy things to change your application. It also makes you then have to do crazy things with backup and security and all that stuff to make sure that if God forbid anything happens, you, know, you can turn it around. But with distributed software, you don't have to do any of those things. You want more processing power, you have more data, you need more users covered, you literally just add more nodes in, in Cockroach. You want that data in another part of the world and that data has to be locked to that location because of GDPR or some of the privacy rules we now have in California. You literally just add a node there and you lock the data there. And right. you could lose, if you do it correctly, you could lose a server, you could lose an entire data center and CockroachDB is still running and, and there's no user interruption. So the name is actually genius. If you live in the world of transactional data, it's icky, which you know helps with the memorability, but you never forget, okay, no, that's what they stand for. They, I will never have to worry about CockroachDB going away. I love that. Yeah, I think of cockroaches. What, what's that saying? Survive a nuclear blast? Yep, exactly. We would survive a nuclear blast because we, as a database, are architected the way the internet is. So you you would have survivability. That's awesome. So let's dive into what marketing looks like for you guys. So obviously, this past year has been crazy. The year ahead has been uncertain too. What does marketing look like in this space? What are some pivots you've made? Maybe some challenges you've faced along with some successes that you've had? Yeah. I'll share a little bit of my philosophy around marketing in our category. Because that that guides a lot of our decision-making. And at the root of it, I'll say something controversial. Most marketers in B2B are B students, right? They're the, the B2B software space is filled with a lot of really mediocre marketing. And if you compare the work that happens in B2B brands with some of the best consumer brands, you find some pretty big disconnects. And the disconnects tend to be rooted in the fact that a lot of the marketers in, in B2B software particularly do not actually come up through marketing. They come up in product, they come up in engineering, they come up in other roles or they come up in very narrow swim lanes inside of marketing like events or demand gen or product marketing. And so a lot of the things that you do really well in order to differentiate, for example, in consumer marketing and large scale consumer brands around thinking about reach and frequency and brand memorability and differentiation and positioning, really good pitch and positioning, just don't get taught inside of a lot of these businesses. And so my background coming from the agency world. I did the math once and it was shocking. I had, I've worked on over a hundred brands when I was in agency and consulting before I left and, and came client side. And that breadth of scope, you see so much work. What you discover is that at the end of the day, the rules of marketing really haven't changed for over a hundred years, right? It's about the audience, right? It's about the reach and frequency required to connect with that audience. And it's about the quality of the experience you create for that audience. And then at the end of the day, we're just all trying to do the same thing, which is to take the current perception in a prospect's mind or in a customer's mind and turn it into your desired perception of your brand and your product and working with you and all those things. So if you break it down to that level, what you see very quickly is the channels and the tactics and the techniques, they all change. I've been in marketing now over 25 years. And the things that worked 
25 years ago, 20 years ago, 15 years ago, even five years ago, they don't work anymore. New things have emerged, old things have failed. And so you have to be really adaptable. Our team, we are broken into, organized by programs and channels, right? Where we focus on specialization and skills. So the programs are the campaigns and activities that are targeted around specific outcome. And for, for us, that's organized as product marketing, Think about the storytelling we do, sales enablement, the pitch and positioning work we do there, the work we do around product launches, which tend to be about you, not about the, the user as much. Our demand generation, which is really about pipeline, right? It's about how do we connect with people who are high potential, high likelihood to convert to us? How do we engage them? How do we get them to fall in love with the product and then choose to do business with us? And then for us, community and evangelism is a really key part. This is very common in, in developer tools like this, where we're focused on direct engagement with developers, getting them really excited about the product, getting them to learn the product, to try it, add it to their tool set. And it's more of that grassroots bottom-up way of working. And building a community around the product and around the brand um, and earning our seat at the table with them. And then we have our channel organization. And like most brands, we're present in any channel that our, our prospects and our customers interact with, which means we're in, in dozens of channels and hundreds of placements. And, and we specialize within that as well with things, things like social capability and you know, being engaged on these things. And so that organization allows us to really move quickly. Because so when COVID hit, for example, we care about demand generation. And one of the channels that, that we use heavily is events, right? So when COVID hit, we got to look at the changing pattern of behaviors with our prospects and our customers and just adapt and say, okay, the goal of this is to get people to fall in love with the product. One of the ways we used to do that was being able to talk to people at a booth and actually demo the product. Well, what does that look like when people aren't going to live events anymore? We ramped up dramatically our video streaming and we ramped up our own, we started these chats called cockroach hours where we just had an open, basically imagine like an open webinar where we had a couple topics, but people could give us live questions and we could have debates and discussions. And we recreated the best of those experiences just in another channel, right? In another location, getting back to that root of, okay, if you're engaging at that level with us, be it face-to-face at a booth or virtually via the cockroach hour, your intentions are pretty much the same. You're evaluating the product. You want to know about it. You want to understand what it's like to live with it. You want to talk to somebody who really understands it, be it a customer or an engineer at the company. So that could take lots of different shapes. And so that's the learning we really had was forget the tactic because it's the rinse and repeat. Think about why do you do the tactic in the first place? And what does that look like as the world changes around you? Our marketing. We were worried. I remember I, I literally was hired in March of 2020. So I was the first group of employees that was onboarded remotely when the offices were shut down. And I remember meeting with the exec team and we just had no idea what was going to happen. We had no idea. Is this, is this going to shrink? Is everything going to freeze? Are people going to freeze budgets? What is this going to really mean? And then from a marketing perspective, what are the implications of this? Are we even going to be able to talk to people? Or are they going to still be responsive? We saw two things happen simultaneously. One, our business was actually a huge beneficiary. 
because as we all started to work remote, that changed the dynamic of how we interact with our applications that put even more demands on a lot of our customers. One of our biggest customers is DoorDash. So they went from their average run of business to literally the day that everything got locked down was like the best day they ever had. And all of a sudden, every day looked like their best day. And so as a marketing team, we're able to first off, benefit a little bit from that and, and pivot our story to really being, okay, we were maybe 80% through digital transformation. The last 20% is going to happen in the next three weeks. What are we going to do about it? And be able to get out there and do that. But then as a team, we pivoted how we work to find these people. And we actually had well beyond the growth we expected last year. We were targeting 100% year-over-year growth, which is great for a company of our size, when COVID hit, we were like, okay, let's see if we do, we hit 70, 80. We did 125% growth year over year by the, by the time the year was done. And wow. we're coming into this year while everything is still, still going on. And we think we'll be once again, 100 to 150% year over year growth again. Nice. That's exciting. That's amazing. It is. It's, you don't want to benefit from hardship, right? I think there's been a lot of hardship in the world this past year. Yeah. In some ways, we've tried to focus our energy and say, well, can we support those people who are trying to make things better? And what impact will that have? Yeah, yeah, totally. Okay. So let's shift focus now to some of your experience in marketing. Obviously, you're a very seasoned marketer. You've been all around. You have tons of experience. You've probably been there seen it all. Uh, what advice would you give to others listening in terms of building lifelong relationships with customers, doing marketing well, you know, really doing B2B marketing well. And I know you've touched upon a lot of these topics, but just to reiterate the point, what are your top pieces of advice? Yeah, it's a great question. The, the number one piece of advice I would give is focus on what's in it for the customer, right? And, that, and, and focus on that as early as your awareness tactics, not just when you're selling them the product. I think if you think about our job as marketers is very interesting. It is left brain, right brain all the time. We are creative people who are data-driven and data-led. And we are trying to create inspiration and evoke feelings and emotions and, and, and drive engagement that way. But we also have rigorous methodology and processes that are required for us to be able to engage. And so there's always this push and pull between the creative side of us and the emotional side of us and the technical and data-driven side of us. And so I always remind folks, you want to build a lifelong customer, lean on that emotional side, right? Really, when you think about your customer, lean on that emotional side. Targeting and you know, segmentation, all these things are tactics we use. But if you think of your customer as a target or a segment, you're not really thinking about them. You're thinking about yourself. And so root all of your work in that individual, in that persona, in the things that matter to them. When I review work, and I'm very active in the work, probably to my team's minor annoyance at times, but I'm a passionate believer in that this is our brand. It's my brand. It's going to be, it's on me if it goes wrong. Accountability if it goes wrong. So I get very deep in the work. And I always look at the work around, okay, I'm that individual developer. I'm that architect dealing with scale problems or 
who's got his the, the executives of his company darkening his door because there are problems with what they're doing or they're chasing a dream and they're trying to accomplish something. I always look at it with that lens. I always try to put myself in my, my customer's shoes. None of us are our customer. Even those who think we are our own customer, it's never true. So you have to be really empathetic and really understand those things. But I try to take that mindset when I look at the work and my feedback is always rooted in that, of that very basic question of what's in it for me. And I do believe if you focus on a servant mindset with your customers, if you focus on that, that trying to do what's right for them, the revenue will come. I'm, I'm a big fan of, of Peter Drucker and, and a lot of the sort of the school of business structure that they taught. And this whole misnomer of what is the purpose of a business is to create shareholder value. He blew that out of the water in the 70s, I think it was. And he very famously said, the purpose of a business is to create a customer. Mm. And the wisdom in that, I think, is missed in the simplicity of the words sometimes. But what he really meant was, if you create a customer, if you create that experience where they want to work with you, you'll find revenue. You'll make money. That absolutely can happen. If you focus on doing what's right for the people with a need or chasing an opportunity and serve them, you'll never have to wonder if you're going to make your number. Love it. That's such awesome advice. Well, Peter, it's been a pleasure to have you on. Any last remarks or words of wisdom before we close here? Yeah, I, I, I think... Your focus, Brad, you know, around trying to guide others to, to create that lifelong customer and build a great business. I think the advice I would give is sales or marketing doesn't matter the category. I think if you work backwards from the customer, building on my, my last point, if you work backwards from that individual and what matters to them and really think about their life, their journey, I think the best work comes from that. And that's true whether it's building a brand building a marketing channel. I held quota for a lot of my career. It's no different if you're trying to build a book of business for yourself and build a set of customers if you're quota carrying. I think if you just work backwards from the customer and use that to guide all of your decision-making, where do they spend time? What are they passionate about? What will resonate with them? What is their journey like? You can be really successful. I think in the last decade or so, we really lost sight of personas ethnographic research, really going deep on customer insight. We have this illusion of knowledge through quantitative data mm. that has made us walk away from the qualitative understanding of our customer. And I think if we can get back to that and find a balance between the qualitative and the, and the quantitative experiences, I think we'll all do better work. Our customers will be a hell of a lot happier. And then we as end customers will probably be a lot happier too. So uh, that's the last piece of advice I would have is, Go chase that real understanding of who these people are and everything you do will be better for it. I love that. That's awesome. Well, Peter, it's been a pleasure to have you on. Appreciate you. Thanks,